All right, so now we're. I'm going to combine uh, December 22nd and 23rd. I'm going to make it into uh, one because uh, uh, I want to catch up. <laughs> so let's begin. All right. Entrance Antiphon, Psalm 24. O gates lift high, your heads grow higher, ancient doors. Let him enter the king of glory. Let's let us let us open the gates. Let's lift high. Let us um, let us joyfully let Christ enter into our lives. Open those gates. Open open them up, and let Him shine His light into your into your life. Okay, don't. Don't hold on to that darkness. Don't hold on to that, to that bitterness. Don't hold on to the, to the disappointments of life. Give it all to Him. Surrender it all to Him. Surrender it all to Him. Christ is the answer. All right, it's not a cliche. I know a lot of people have said it. You've heard a lot of, um, pastors in the, in the streets say it. You know, they you know they'll they'll preach the same formula, the same the same stale water, the same stale message. But the answer, the reason why Christ is the truth, it's because he's the truth that never goes away. Think about it. If after two thousand years you're getting a lot of people who are trying to push Christianity off the public square, right? I like what Dr. Turley said. In Christ, he united the three, the three stool city, the, the, the three city on the hill, the, you know, the one hill with, with three foundations, the foundations of Jerusalem, divine revelation and morality, truth, Athens, the intellectual, and Rome, the government, the structure of government, law, of state, you know, of republic. They're trying to wipe that out. Islam didn't do it. Islam did not unite those three foundations, those three important cities. Those three important um, foundation stone. In many ways, that's just like the Trinity. This is exactly why Christ came. And to this day, you're getting people, the reason why human beings, without morality, without the moral core, without the gospel, turn into savage beasts, turn into jackals, turn into brood of vipers. You need this. You need this answer. You need the gospel. All right. Here. I'm just gonna open up and let it let it uh, fall on any particular page here. Okay, hold on. This is actually ah avoiding lukewarmness. 
How great your goodness, O Lord, stored up for those who fear you. When I reflect on some devout people who approach the blessed sacrament, with such reverence and devotion, often I am ashamed of myself that I come to your altar with such coldness of heart and lacking any depth of affection. I do not find myself aflame with love in your presence, nor do I feel closely drawn to you, as do many devout souls who desire so intensely to receive you in communion, that the emotion in their hearts causes them to weep, and who from the depths of their soul eagerly lung for you, my God, the living fountain, there is no other way that their hunger can be satisfied except by receiving your body with joy and spiritual ardor. The, de the deep faith of these people is certainly a living proof of your, of your sacred presence. Truly do they recognize their Lord in the breaking of the bread, for their hearts burn strongly within them. When Jesus walks at their side, I feel ashamed that such deep devotion, ardent love, and strong fervor are all too often lacking in me. That happens. It happens to all of us. We go through that. And a good part is, it's even better that you're aware of it than that you're not aware of it. I believe that strongly. The fact that you're aware that you're you're going through a spiritual dry spell is good. If you walk away and you're indifferent to your, your spiritual dry spell, I'd say that you're in bigger trouble. But this happens to all of us. We all go through a dry spell. And that's when we got to, you know, um, call down grace to help us... Um, To help uh, burn the burn that lamp, burn that that desire more to bring to bring more desire. All right, let's move on to the reading. Okay. First reading is from the first book of Samuel. Hannah gives thanks for the birth of Samuel. A reading from the first book of Samuel. In those days, Hannah brought Samuel with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and presented him at the temple of the Lord in Shiloh. After the, whole, the boy's father had sacrificed the young bull, Hannah, his mother, approached Eli and said, Pardon, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood near you, here praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me my request. Now I, in turn, give him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be dedicated to the Lord. She left Samuel there. <clears throat> the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
as I said uh, in other, another podcast, our faith is about life. It's about family. So there's a lot of people that don't like that. There's a lot of, unfortunately, Catholics in our um, among us who are pushing, agreeing to this whole thing about pro-abortion. There's a lot of clergy, unfortunately, that are pushing for this, that are leaning towards that. Um, our faith is about life. It's about family. It's about having children. And even if we don't have, if we're not blessed with children, Still, we're all about family. Maybe God is asking us to open our our homes to to give family to those children who may not have been blessed with family. <clears throat> As many ways God can do this. I mean, look at this. The other day, um, Dallas Jenkins had a man on. I wish I can remember his name. He was born with no arms and no legs. At the age of eight or 10, I believe he tried to commit suicide. He tried drowning himself in the bathtub. I'm sure, I'm guessing the bathtub faucet was probably designed in a way that he could do that. He had only little tiny feet, no arms and no legs. And he wanted to die. In the process of trying to do that, he uh, reflected on on how much pain his parents would be if they found him like that, and he stopped it. Now, he, this man, with no arms and no legs, is a husband. He's married to a beautiful woman, and he's got I think four children, three or four children. He's got a family. He was blessed with a family. Our modern society would probably have said it would have been better for him to die. To probably terminate him when he was born. There's a lot of people that would say that, and we all know that's true. If he did, those children would never have been born. His wife would never have met him. She would never have had those children. This is what I'm saying to you. Yes, he was born without arms and legs. But God had a greater purpose. The glory of God was that God was not going to limit him without a family. God showed his glory by getting by giving him a beautiful wife and children. And this is what they say that you shouldn't put God in a box. You got Christians who put God in a box. You got Muslims who put God in a box. And you got atheists. And you got people who claim to believe in God, but still put God in a box. Right? 
They, they're really, I mean, it's, it's, it's an oddball thing, but everybody wants to put, everybody wants to put limit on God. The point is, let God speak for himself. He doesn't need us. He proved it. This is why my favorite story is in the Gospel of John, when Jesus heals the man by spitting on the ground. He creates uh, mud, because this is my interpretation, So, and I do believe it, because it says he opened the man's eyes. Okay, why did other times he touched men with his hands who were blind and gave them their sight? This time he spits on the ground, all right, and takes the, the mud with his spittle and rubs it into the man because the man had no eyes. He was sculpting him eyes. He was finishing the job. Basically, it wasn't that God didn't finish the job, but the fact is that this was the moment where he was going to show people that he is God. He gave the man, he sculpted eyes into the man. And he, that's why he said, go and wash in the pool. And he did. And lo and behold, for the first time in his life, he has eyes. It, he said, the apostles asked, who sinned? Was it his parents or him? Nobody sinned. It wasn't because of his parents or him. First of all, he was just, he was born without eyes, so he didn't have time to sin. <laughs> right? And it wasn't his parents, but people, the same way people thought Zachariah and Elizabeth committed a sin. That's why they had no child. No. God was doing this to show his glory. Stop putting him in a box. I agree with the man. This, this gentleman who said that. We're, we want him to do what we want him to do. But when you completely are open to what his glory, what his glory is about to be, the point is your misery, your unhappiness, your misfortune, Give it all to him. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a life with you. He wants to enter your life. Just let go. Let go of your pride. Let go of your ego. Let go of your false expectations. Let go, even if they're positive expectations, let go. Let him do it. Okay, this is, um, the psalm is actually from Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel. My heart exalts in the Lord, my Savior. It's, it's very similar to Mary's Magnificat. This is Hannah's. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in my God. I have swallowed up my enemies. I rejoice in my 
my victory. My heart exalts in the Lord my Savior. The bow, the bows of the mighty are broken, while the tottering grit on strength. The well-fed hire themselves out for bread, while the hungry batten on spoil. The barren wife bears seven sons, while the mother of many languishes. My heart exults in the Lord my Savior. The Lord puts to death and gives life. He casts down to the netherworld. He raises up again. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He humbles, he also exalts. My heart exalts in the Lord my Savior. He raises the needy from the dust. From the dung heap he lifts up the poor to seat them with the nobles and makes a glorious throne their heritage. My heart exults in the Lord my Savior. Alleluia, alleluia, O King of all nations and keystone of the church, come and save man whom you formed from the dust. Alleluia, alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 1, verse 46 to 56. The Mighty One has done great things for me. Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones, and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. The Gospel of the Lord prays to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So you see, uh, I didn't even have to say it. They actually, the, the church, the readings is combined. I mean, it's, it's designed this way because they want to show you that what God has promised in the past, what he's done in the past, he has done far greater in the future. Hannah is a picture of the Virgin Mary. Even someone like, um, Hagar and Sarah, they're type pictures of the Virgin Mary, right? And even uh, Moses being born, uh, his mother um, giving birth to him, Moses is a type picture of Jesus. Samuel is a type picture of the Christ. Even someone like Samson, his own mother, who uh, an angel approached her, and and told her she will give birth. Uh, in many ways, uh, Samson is a type picture of a Christ because of the way he dies. But he's also a picture of John the Baptist because he's a he's a Nazarite. And you see this over and over again. David is a type picture. Solomon is a type a typology of Christ. David and Solomon. 
and you have pictures of prophets like um, Daniel, right? Uh, Joseph of the Old Testament is a type picture of Jesus. Joseph gets betrayed by his brothers. They threw him in a pit, a picture of Christ's burial put on trial, being put on trial by the Israelites, by the, the Sanhedrin, and then they sold him off. Right, and he goes into Egypt. They think he's dead, but his his rising up to power as prime minister is a type picture of a resurrection. They didn't recognize him when they saw him, remember? And yet he wound up being sort of like a Messiah. He is a Messiah. He saved Egypt and his Gentile and his own people from starvation. So you see, these things are type pictures, and we see that here. Mary, she her typological image is in Hannah and Hagar and Sarah. Imperfect, not perfect, but imperfect. But what is imperfect will, will be finally replaced by the perfect. And you see this in, in Mary, and you see this in, with Elizabeth. You know, it's it's fantastic. It's beautiful. All right, so I want to go do the 23rd reading. So I'm going to skip. And we're going to do the ah, reading from Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, 23 to 24. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes. A reading from the book of the prophet Malachi. Thus says the Lord God, Lo, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and suddenly they will come to the temple, the Lord whom you seek, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. Yes, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who will endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, or like the fuller's lie. He will sit refining and purifying silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, refining them like gold or like silver, that they may offer due sacrifices to the Lord. Then the sacrifices of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord, as in the days of old, as in years gone by. Lo, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and terrible day, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lo, I come and strike the land with doom. At least I come and strike the land with doom. Let me read that one paragraph again. Lo, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes, the great and terrible day to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with doom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, now it's Psalm 25. Lift up your heads and see your redemption is near at hand. Your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my Savior. Lift up your heads and see. Your redemption is near at hand.
Good and upright is the Lord. Thus he shows sinners the way. He guides the humble to justice. He teaches the humble his way. Lift up your heads and see your redemption's near at hand. All the paths of the Lord are kindness and consistency toward those who keep his covenant and his decrees. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him and his covenant for their instruction. Lift up your heads and see your redemption is near at hand. All right. Alleluia, alleluia. O King of all nations, and the keystone of the church, come and save men, whom you man whom you form from dust. Alleluia, alleluia. Okay, reading from the Holy Gospel according to Saint Luke, chapter one, verse fifty-seven to sixty-six: the birth of John the Baptist. When the time arrived for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown his great mercy toward her, and they rejoiced with her. When they came on the eighth day to circumcise the child, they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said in reply, No, he will be called John. But they answered her, There is no one among your relatives who has this name. So they made signs asking his father what he wished him to be called. He asked for a tablet and wrote, John is his name. And all were amazed immediately. His mouth was opened and his tongue freed and he spoke, blessing God. Then fear came upon all their, their, their neighbors and all, their, all these matters were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard these things took them to heart, saying, What then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord was with him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I always thought um, the story of John the Baptist's parents was a little bit comical. I mean, not so much Elizabeth, more Zachariah. Zachariah had a little bit of a comedy to him, in a sense. I mean, he didn't believe, and he was struck dumb. Basically, he was deaf and dumb. So that's why they had to ask him. And one of the interesting, puzzling things about this is that because Jews have a different custom now where they don't name the child by a living relative. They wait to the relative. They, he has to be named by someone who passed away. Obviously, this custom was obviously different because Luke couldn't have possibly got this wrong. It obviously was a different custom at the time. And it was amazing. I mean, think about it. He was a miracle child. He was a miracle child to two old people who were past their youth, could not bear children. Could, and who everybody thought that God punished them for some sin. And lo and behold, God worked a miracle. Something that was, to many people's minds, impossible. And yet it happened. That's why John the Baptist was, is still remembered to this very day. Because he, he was a miracle. 
He was the promise. He was the promise in Malachi. Zechariah and Elizabeth represented Israel. Old, old, but not forgotten. Remember, like they said that often, that's why Jesus talks about the treasure houses, the scribe who brings out the old and the new. And I've heard this being mentioned the other day, old and new. But it's meant, it's meant for it's meant for future generations to benefit from, to be fed, to be given the wine of the old, and the wine of the new. It's nothing is out of date. Oh, all of it nourishes the soul. All of it, both of it, gives gives the glory of God. It's not, it's not out of date. It's not spoiled. It's good and it's nourishing for the soul. And that's what it's all about. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And we, we need to live this. This is why I keep saying we need a culture, of, a new culture of faith. Much, I think, what's happened in the church and why things are so bad in the church it's because we're living in a time now where a lot of people think they can reinvent the wheel. And all they wind up doing is making a mess of it. It's like a kid who, um, you know, you give him a, a, a very good toy, a very complex tech toy. And this kid, for some reason, just wants to know how it works. And he breaks it apart. And once he breaks it apart, takes it apart, he can't put it back together again because he ruined it. And I think that's what happened with Vatican II. You get a lot of people who think they can take it apart and put it back together again better, or they think they can reinvent the wheel. All they wound up doing was making things confusing and bad. All right, so um, let's end it here. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now the hour of our death, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit.